This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. It's amazing what happens when the church comes together and uh, acts like the church or acts like how the church should act like. And uh, this is what we do best is we are a people that go, um, forget the walls of our church, forget the boundaries of our church, and reach out to our communities and show our communities that they matter and what they do matter. Amen. Uh, I want to jump into the word. We're going to take, take communion at the end of the service, uh, but I want to jump into the word. I have a short word that I want to share with you guys, and uh, we're continuing up our study in the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, we have been in a study for the last 22 messages. We have been in the study of Matthew, and uh, Today, we're going to get into the next installment. We're still in chapter number eight. Uh, we study the Bible systematically. We study it expositionally, where I take passages of scripture, verses, and I break it down, and I teach it uh, in understandable proportions and where we can understand, we can process, and uh, we could go through in our personal time of study. Uh, we took a break last week for Father's Day, and uh, we had a guest speaker that brought the word to us, but today I want to continue this passage. Uh, how many of you love your mother-in-laws? Guys, anybody? One, two. Girls, anybody? Y'all love your mother-in-law? Some of you had the half-lifted hand, the full lift. Some of y'all were waving. No, I didn't see any waves. No excited. <laughs> oh, man. Mother-in-laws are awesome. Amen. Uh, I love my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. She is an amazing woman of God that, uh, that, that loves God. Uh, she loves God. She loves people. She loves her family. And uh, her love language is serving. She loves to serve. Uh, I still remember many years ago, I was 21 years old, and uh, I was preaching at a church in Houston. And uh, the, the, the pastor of the church invited me to dinner uh, at his house. So we ended up going to dinner, and, or I ended up going to his house for dinner. And while we were having dinner, this woman walked up to me. And I don't know, this is my first time meeting her. This is my first time, uh, you know, even walking into that home. She walked up to me, and she, she made some con small conversation with me. And we talked about the meeting that I just spoke at at that church. And uh, she, she looked at me, and she said, uh, son, how old are you? And I looked at her and said, uh, I know I look much older than my age, but I'm only 21. And uh, she looked at me and she said, oh, man, okay. Uh, you know, if you were slightly older, I had a girl for you. All right, I had a girl for you. And, and I was like, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, you know, we're 21. We have many more years to go. And uh, we, we left it at that. I didn't know who the lady was. Uh, we, 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 we left it at that. Uh, and and uh, eight years later, I ended up marrying her daughter. Uh, it, was, it was amazing how God works in mysterious ways. I found out later that it was Sonia's mom that actually talked to me uh, on that day. And uh, she said, hey, I have a girl for you. And we never talked about it after that. But I know she prayed, and I know God had it uh, in his mind that that, and, and she basically remembers about that incident, and she said, well, I just felt in my heart that I, need, I needed to ask you. And uh, nothing happened after that, but the prayer of a righteous woman, God hears, amen? And uh, I, I am thankful that I got to marry your daughter. Thank you for being my wife. 
But man, I, I, I know that you guys uh, love your mother-in-laws, or I don't know if you do or not, but I hope you do. But I thank God for mine. And in Matthew 8, verse 14, we are introduced to a mother-in-law. In verse 14, the Bible says this, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. In some translations, the Bible says he took her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and she began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Would you pray with me? Father, would you speak to us through this word? I pray, God, that this word will come in power and in might. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you do a work in our lives? And I pray, God, that you will speak to us like no other, that your word will come to us in power and might. I pray, God, that it will be convicting, it will be uplifting, it will be transforming. And I pray, God, that none of us will go back home the way we came. That, Lord, this word will seep right in. It will dig deep in. And it will do a work inside of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We are introduced to Jesus walking into Peter's home. Uh, if you guys want to catch up with notes, it's on the Bible app. Uh, if you have the Bible app on your phone, all you got to do is scan the QR code and it should bring up the notes and you could take down the notes on the app as you go. But if you're more like me and love to take notes uh, on your iPad or on your, on your phone or on a diary, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, we're introduced to Peter's house. This will not be the last time the Bible talks to us about Peter's house. Peter's house is pretty significant in many ways in that Jesus used Peter's house as his headquarters when he did ministry in Capernaum. He, he did a lot of ministry around that area and whenever he was around those cities, he always came back and he stayed in Peter's house. It was in this house in the later on chapters as we go through the book of Matthew and throughout the gospels we will see that Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. He heals a man who is, uh, uh, who, who is blind. He heals the woman who has the issue of blood. It's all outside of this house that Jesus heals these people. So it's not going to be the last time you hear about this house. But something significant was supposed to happen in that house on that day that would lay a trajectory of something more to come and something bigger to come. And what I want to do is I want to paint a picture for you about the way God works. See, that house had to be a portal of blessing to many other people. See, that house was supposed to be a house of miracles. In order for Jesus to work out of that house, there has to have had, had, something had to happen in that place that had to break some bondages, some things, some, 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 some fever in this situation. But I, I'm talking about Peter's house here, but prophetically, let me speak into your lives and let me speak over your families. Let me speak over your marriages. Let me speak over your homes because Peter's home is important. What happens in Peter's home on that day 
is going to be a very important incident that paves the way for many more things to happen in the future. The Bible says when Jesus entered Peter's house, now this was the Sabbath day. It was the day of rest. It was the day that everybody rested. It was the day that activities were not taking place. Everybody needs a Sabbath. Everybody needs a day where you rest. You rest your bodies, you rest your minds, and Jesus didn't know that even on the Sabbath, he was in for this surprise because as he walks into the Sabbath, as everybody is supposed to be quote unquote resting, Peter's mother-in-law doesn't happen to be rest. She's resting, she's on the bed, she's laid flat, but what is supposed to look like resting is really not resting, she is in pain. There are so many of us that try to take Sabbaths without really being in rest. There are so many of us that try to rest in God and rest in peace without really being healed in our bodies. Some of us, it's physical pain. For others of us, it is mental pain. It is, it is psychological pain. It is trauma of the past. It's unforgiveness. Call it what you want. There are so many ways in which you can describe a, a state of unrest even in moments that you're supposed to rest. Today is a Sabbath for so many people. For us, it is a Sabbath. It's a day that we rest, we come to church, we worship. But as you are worshiping today, and as you are resting today, quote unquote, there are so many of you that are wrestling with thoughts, negative thoughts, suicidal thoughts, thoughts of negativity that surround you, thoughts of hopelessness. There is, there is thoughts of physical pain and physical torture that you're going through. You might have a, a, a neutral face. You might have, you know, a, a face that doesn't show that you're going through physical pain. But I bet you there are some people that are going through physical pain in your body. And we are introduced to a situation exactly like that. It's the Sabbath. Everybody's supposed to be resting. Everybody's supposed to be enjoying the time with the family. But Peter's mother-in-law is sick. It's amazing that Peter's mother-in-law is even staying with them and it's beautiful because it throws light into that culture of the day. The culture was one that respected parents and respected the elders and it was a beautiful situation where they brought the mother-in-law in and the mother-in-law stayed with them. And the Bible says she had a fever. The Bible says she's laying down sick with a fever. This idea of fever is not the fever, the 101, 102, 103, not that kind of fever that we measure by today. The measure of fever was way different back in the day. The word for fever over there is this picture of a fiery, scorching heat. The word used in Greek is that idea of this very serious ill condition. Or in other words, the tense used actually means that she was fevering, which means it was a prolonged and intense fiery fever. And in, in the ancient world, fevers were deadly. Fevers were one that people did not recover from sometimes. Fevers were, pe were, were, were diseases and sicknesses that people succumbed to from time to time or most of the time. The survival rate for a person that had a fever was slim to none. And Peter's mother was sick. I want us to understand this. Jesus just did two miracles. One miracle was a leper who was outside of the city gates. Somebody that people did not want. 
And then he goes to this other man who is, who is not supposed to be a Jew or who's not supposed to, who is a Gentile altogether. We discussed this two weeks ago and he heals him. Two people that don't even belong in, 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 the, in the vicinity of where Jesus should be ministering in. But yet these two people are people that receive the touch of Jesus. And Jesus is about to encounter this third person and the third person is a woman. Pious Jews would often say, Man, it is bad to be a woman. They believed that when a girl baby was born back in the day, that was bad luck. When babies were about to be born, they didn't know the gender of the baby. It was a boy or a girl. There are many countries in the world, in fact, till today, that you don't know the gender of the baby. In America, we're blessed. We know what gender the baby is. But in many parts of the world, even till today, you don't know. The doctors won't reveal it to you. And back in the day, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. When the boy came along, everybody rejoiced. It was a feast. It was clapping of hands. It was dancing. Everything was awesome. All right, the baby, the, the, baby, the gender reveal party was amazing. If it was blue, but it was pink, people would literally spit on the ground and walk away sometimes, depending upon what family it was. They would literally say, oh, it was pink. Sorry, we don't want to eat today. Jesus walks into a worldview and, and I see so many people actually contesting this and talking about this and saying, man, Jesus, the, the Bible is full of misogynistic ideas and it's, it's full of people that are chauvinists and, and people that only put men above the women. I'm telling you something. That's why I love Jesus because Jesus came into the picture to take all of that and squash it and he gave a platform to the woman. I want some women to understand this, that because of Jesus, he opened a portal of understanding and acceptance and love and, and grace that people were astonished by it. And here comes a woman that is in need of a miracle and Jesus said, you are going to be healed. Jesus was attracted to the ones that were not, that didn't belong, that weren't, that, that didn't fit status quo. Jesus was attracted to those people. And the Bible says he touched her hand. Someone say touched. In some translations, the Bible says the word took, which is the word kratio in Greek. Not to bombard you with the original language, but the literal meaning is to seize or to, to firmly pick up, to apprehend, taking something by force, a masterful grip. That's what the word means. I still remember this is, there was this video of Oral Roberts that I saw back in the day when he was praying for the sick. Man, he, he laid his hand on that person and he literally shook that person. And I, and I looked at it that day and I was like, man, what's the need for that? Can't you just stand there and can you just say a cute prayer and can that person not be healed or do the modern two-finger touch and be healed? No. Oh, Roberts seized that person. Oh, that person was healed. But when I think about things like that, I think about this verse where Jesus took a hold of her hand. It was a forceful one where he exercised authority over every power of the enemy. It was not a light touch that he gave her. He took a hold of her. He released a spiritual authority over her. He lifted her up in, 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 in Mark's account of this story. The Bible says Mark looks at us and says he picks her hand and he lifts her up. This is amazing. He exercises authority. And the Bible says it immediately left her. I want you to know this. Jesus never prays for people to be healed. You will never find in the scripture where Jesus went and he said, Father, I'm praying for this person. I pray that this person, Jesus exercises authority every single time. There were no cute prayers. 
Father in heaven, if it beseech you, if it, if it's, no, 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 none of that. He was like, in the name of Jesus, like, like when we pray, I pray in the name of Jesus, be healed. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Like, it is a command, be healed. It's not a, it's not a prayer, it's not a cute thing, it's not a beseech thing. No, 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 it's what Jesus did. Praying like Jesus, and Jesus commanded and ordered and spoke into sickness and spoke. And I'm speaking to some people today and saying, man, you don't need cute prayers. I am praying for believers that operate in the authority that God has given you. God has given each one of us authority. When you go through pain, when you're going through spiritual depravity, I pray that you will take a hold of your husband. You will take a hold of your wife. You will put your hands on your kids. Sometimes I scare my kids. When I put my hands on them, they're like, duh. <laughs> That's what my dad did to me. So I'm like, I'm going to do it to you too. But there was power. Come on, some of y'all are thinking I'm crazy, but I'm telling you. There is healing. I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that. Some people say, oh, yeah, you know, healing was just back in the day. Healing doesn't happen. And, and no, 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 no. Healing does. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I'm encouraging some people as you're going through the darkest of valleys, I pray that you will exercise authority. Speak into darkness. Command things to move and they will move in the name of Jesus. I believe that. Can somebody say amen? Uh, today is the day. And Jesus went up to her. He took her by the hand and he picked her up. Nothing else. He didn't say be gone. He didn't say be safe. Nothing. He looked at her. He picked up her hand, raised her up and said walk. I'm going to address this in just a second, but this is good. And the Bible says immediately, ooh, immediately the fever left her. Someone say the fever left her. The word left is this word apihemi, which means to dismiss, to release, discharge, to send away. The fever was sent away. The fever was dismissed. The fever was discharged. The fever was released. And three things happen the moment Jesus heals her. Someone say three things. You ready for this? Three things. Three things happen. Number one, she is delivered. The first thing that happens is she is delivered. Number two, she delivers her testimony. She is delivered. The second thing that happens is she delivers her testimony. And number three is others were delivered. When Jesus shows up, these three things happen. She gets delivered. She delivers her testimony. And others are delivered. Oh, I want you to hear this out. I'm going to break this down. The first thing is she's delivered. The Bible said as, as soon as he, he, he said, he lifted her hand, he lifted her up. She was healed. The fever left her. In verse 15, what does it say? She rose up and began to serve him. Anybody have a fever before? When your fever breaks, the first thing you do is not go to Six Flags. Yes or no? The first thing you do is no, not go to the kitchen and start kicking up a storm. No. You are what in your body? You're still weak in your body. Your fever is broken. You're sweat, like some of you are sweating it out, right? Like I know when I have a fever, like I'm sweating it out. I don't want to be doing anything. I don't want to be going playing golf or tennis at that point of time. I am actually resting. I'm trying to get my whole body back in order. But the Bible says a fever left her and she was up on her feet. And the Bible says she begins to serve him. The Bible uses this word diakinio, which means ministered to them. 
You know what that word means? To serve like a high-level servant, excellent serving. Radically changed people serve radically. I want, I want you to know this. See, when Jesus touches you, you have no choice but to get up on your feet and say, I got to do something for Jesus. Oh, I, I don't think you're hearing me today. See, that's radical transformation. That's rad. This God, Jesus did something. I cannot help but serve Jesus. See, I want to, uh, can, I, can I give you unpopular Christian uh, thoughts right now? Unpo uh, okay, ready for this? We don't take breaks from serving Jesus. We don't take breaks from following Jesus. Am I talking to somebody? See, following Jesus is a hard thing to do, and the rest of this passage will understand that. But the Bible says, man, as soon as she was back on her feet, she said, thank you for health, thank you for wealth, thank you for, for life, and in the name of Jesus, I'm going to give this back. And she gets up, and, 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 and I want to remind somebody today, delivered people serve Jesus so, so he can continue delivering other people. Come on, somebody. Like, God is not giving you the responsibility to deliver people. You can pray over people, but God does the delivering. But when you serve Jesus, he has the freedom to continue delivering those people that he was sent to deliver. And that's still true about today. It's still true today. And God is speaking to some people through the life of this woman whose name we don't know. We don't even know her name. But the Bible says she gets up and she starts serving. Some of us when we're hurt, when we go through pain, some of us when we were fevered, when we are fevering, we feel like, man, everything's lost. And I pray that even though you go through seasons where you have a rough patch and you're not serving Jesus, remember when Jesus heals you, when Jesus sets you free, when Jesus delivers you, do not waste time. Get up. Be delivered. She is delivered and she just doesn't stop there. She's like, I'm back in my feet and we're going to praise Jesus. Come on, somebody. I pray that that is the attitude we will have. Is I'm not going to take breaks. I'm not going to sit back and relax. If Jesus healed me, if Jesus set me free, I am going to serve in the name of Jesus. Oof. She delivered. She's delivered. She starts serving. The second thing she does is she delivers a testimony. How do we know she delivers a testimony? Because word spreads. She testifies, right? Verse 16. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. How do they hear about this? The Bible says, and that evening. There's a reason for that evening. If they could come in the next 15 minutes, they would come. But it was a Sabbath. In order to walk uh, more than three quarters of a mile, they had to wait for three stars to come out and they had to wait for the light to go out and, and only then could they break their Sabbath. So they just stood up. Their word has been spreading. They're like, man, we can't wait to see this Jesus. We, can, we cannot wait to be delivered. We cannot wait. I don't know how many of y'all wait for Sunday to come. I, I don't know how many of y'all are like Friday, man, I cannot wait for Sunday to go and worship the Lord with my brothers and sisters. I cannot wait for my kids to go to see kids. I cannot wait to be in fellowship with my fellow believers. That is the anticipation that these people had. They were standing back and they were like, we cannot wait to be there. And as soon as evening hit, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the... Now, now that's, that's Mark's gospel and we'll go to that in just a second. But the word spread quickly. I'm asking you this. Are you sharing your testimony enough for people to come to where Jesus is? 
Like, are you sharing what God is doing in your life enough to where you are having people follow Jesus because of your testimony? See, there was no way that people would have come to that house if Peter's mother-in-law did not actually go around telling people about what happened. She walked three quarters of a mile and no more and she told everybody in that vicinity. The people from there walked three quarters of a mile and told everybody else in their vicinity. It's amazing that when news catches on, oh, come on somebody, when life, true life change happens and for some of us, life change happens on Sunday mornings. You listen to a message, you're healed, you are set free. You know, somebody called, told me the other day, Pastor, I don't know if you remember, but back in November last year, you were praying and, and, and on stage, you just prayed for somebody to be healed and, and, and you said that somebody's being healed right now in their, in their stomach and their pain. And we don't do that very often. I'm very sensitive about listening from the Holy Spirit. And when, we, and when he declared that, that, that he came up, he, he told me like last week, he was like, man, I was healed at that point in time. And I was like, you're telling me now? <laughs> oh, but I, I, I just didn't think too much. Into, I didn't want to bother you. No, I, I know you're sitting here. I'm not, I'm not dogging you for coming to me and telling me. I'm thankful for you telling me. But man, if you would have told somebody else that God healed you that Sunday, maybe next Sunday somebody would, come, would have come with an expectation saying, this is a house of miracles. This is somewhere that God moves. This is a house of God. Man, if, if you go to somebody and say, man, I heard a word this morning. It was so powerful. It was mighty. You send them that YouTube link. If you experience worship and man, God, wasn't worship awesome today? Man, if if you think that somebody will be blessed through, send that link to them right away. If there's something that you heard in this message, write it down, share it with somebody today. Your testimony is what brings somebody to Jesus. So they come from all around the place. People that are oppressed by demons. The word over there is demonized under the influence of demon spirits. And I'm not going to get too much into that because I, I'm going to speak about that next week. And I want you to be here because that's going to be a good word. But I want you to contrast this to Mark's account of this gospel. You ready for this? We're, 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 we're getting ready to get into this last stretch. Mark 1, verse 31, the Bible says, The evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Man, the whole town. That's what we're praying for until all of what? Plano knows. I cannot wait for the days that there are lines outside of this building and outside of that church next door and the churches around this area because Plano needs Jesus, y'all. And I pray that we can be a hub. We can be Peter's house. We can be a house of miracles. We can be a watering hole just like Peter's house was a watering hole for people to come and meet Jesus. Is Jesus moving in this place? Is it evident through your life? Is it evident through your testimony? Are you doing something about it to show that to other people? People, they came from all places and the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Point number three. Now I want to get into that. This is good. I'm going to spend some time on this. But point number three. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, not only did he deliver her, she delivered a testimony, but the third thing was others were delivered. Are others being delivered because you are delivered? See, because here's the truth of the fact. For a person that is truly delivered, for a person that is truly transformed, 
for a person that has experienced life change in their hearts, they cannot contain but keep it to them. Oh, come on, somebody. A young lady walked up to Spurgeon once and told Spurgeon, oh, Pastor Spurgeon, Jesus has changed my life and he's going to hear it for the rest of my life. And that's great. Because man, there's not much, there's, there's not enough that I can look at the Lord and thank him for because he is good and his mercies endure forever. He rescued me from the miry clay and put me on my feet to stay because he is a good God. And I will praise him no matter what happens. And today, I want to encourage you because of God's healing on your life, don't keep it to yourself. Let other people be healed as well. He healed many people. The word over there is therapeutic, where we get the word therapy from. Jesus offered therapy before therapy became popular. You know what that mean, therapeutic means? It means a healing touch that requires a corresponding action. Don't just sit there and say, Jesus will heal me. Do something about it. You know, that's what Jesus did when he, when he healed a man with a withered hand. What did he look at him and say? He said, stretch your hand. When Jesus healed a blind man, he said, go and wash your eyes. It wasn't a bam, all right. When he healed a crippled man, he said, pick up your mat. That is what therapeo means. There was, there was so many people that he began to heal, and it was signs and wonders and miracles. It wasn't a, ooh, black man. No, it was a, hey, your faith is required in this, in this place. So it wasn't a, hey, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. He made people operate in faith. And I believe people that exercised their faith and moved in faith, they were healed by the power of Jesus. Verse 34, the Bible says he drove out many demons. Can I be honest here? Everybody listening? All right. I, demons are real. I, I, I didn't know how else to put it. I didn't know how to sugarcoat it, make it sound pretty. No, 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 no. Demons are real. We'll talk about that next week. If you want to hear about that, come next week, okay? Now, the Bible says he cast out demons. You know what the word cast out means? It means the word ekbalo, which means forcibly evict. You heard of squatters? You hear, you hear about squat? You know what a squatter is? There's a <laughs> the real estate agent knows what a squatter is. That's what it means forcibly, we don't, to throw out, to expel, to drive out. It used, this actually, this word, ekbalo, is used to describe a country who deports or evicts illegals, evicting squatters. That's what it is. And, and Jesus is looking at him and saying, you don't belong here. Right. I want to remind somebody, there are systems of demonic forces that are operational in Christians and in believers that go to synagogues and temples back in the day and churches even today that the demonic stronghold sometimes tries to force people into pain, into torture, psychological illness, physical illness. But today I want to remind somebody that Jesus loves you. And when Jesus is in the picture, he looks at every demonic spirit and he can read right through it and he says in the name of Jesus come out and he gives us that 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 come on am I talking to somebody there are people in this building that have been set free 
There are people in this building that have been delivered, that you have seen demonic oppressions leave you. And today, I don't know what you're facing, but I want to believe with you and I want to pray with you and I want to declare over your life that no demon, no power of darkness, no devil has a stronghold over you and any squatting enemy in the name of Jesus, I rebuke and I bind in Jesus' name. Ooh. And he said he would not let the demon speak. That's what it says. Because they knew who he was. Now, can I, just, can I just talk about this just for a second and then we'll close, okay? This is my first time closing. I can close two more times. So. Okay. But he would not let the demon speak because they knew who he was. Interesting. Someone say interesting. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, listen up. In Mark's account... See, before he met this man and Peter's mother-in-law, he meets another man with his unclean spirit. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 23, we just go forward just a little bit before the account in Mark 1. Just then, a man in their synagogue, someone say, in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out. There was a man in their synagogue Pastor, if you're in church, you cannot be, uh, you know, influenced by demons. Lie. I want, to, I want you to remember that. There are people that could be masked within the church that are going through stuff. Now, I want to make it very clear. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching next Sunday's message this Sunday, but, oh, come on, come on. Someone support me here. Uh, can, I, can I wait till next Sunday? I can, I'll give you some. Uh, just, just more stuff. You could sit in church. You could attend Sunday service. You could attend life groups and still have an oppression over your life. What you allow in your life has control over your life to the point where you could do every single church activity. But you could allow the enemy to influence your life if you are not surrendered yourself completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about this more, but I want you to understand this. There's a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, and he cried out. The Bible says he cried. He, he yelled. John, come on up. Play me out in a bit. The word used there, there is ekarthos, which means impure. It means unclean. It means filthy. It means lewd. It means foul. Woo! You can be in church. And you can have an unpure spirit that's demonic. You can have unclean thoughts. Moment of truth. Y'all ready for this? Pastor is talking right now. Pastor is talking. Some of the most biggest of platforms that God has taken me to and put me in front of thousands of people. I still remember to this day some of the most unpure and some of the most unholiest thoughts have crossed my mind before I've stepped onto that platform. Just, just being very honest over here. Is that okay? Can I be honest in the church? Everything inside of me wants to lean into that, but the, the, the Spirit of God within me do, does not allow that because the Holy Spirit is like, you, you know who you are. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. God gives you that ability. You're not devoid of the attack of the enemy. Even Jesus was attacked of the enemy before his biggest platform. I'm talking to somebody here. Remember that. 
If you're a Christian who is challenged every single day by impure thoughts, by unholy thoughts, you're not alone. I pray that every demonic stronghold over your life in the name of Jesus come under the surrender and the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says he cried out, shrieking and screaming, blood-curling cry. Ooh. Verse 24, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. I know who you are. You better know that the enemy that's working inside of you knows who your God is. And despite of that, he's doing his stuff. Knowing that the God you serve is bigger. Knowing that the God, all you got to do is tap into that and say, blood of Jesus. All you got to do is call on the name of Jesus. Come on. Every demonic stronghold knows who your Jesus is and what your Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. And he doesn't stand a chance, but he tries his luck anyways. Come on. I'm telling somebody what an enemy accomplishes in your life is purely off of luck. He just throws it out there and he hopes that the dice falls. And so many of us fall to it without tapping into the name of Jesus that is above all other names which every name which every knee will bow every tongue will confess all we got to say is Jesus and he says I know who you are somebody says the devil knows who Jesus is Ooh. and you know he, he's like have you come to destroy us the word destroy is his word apolumai to unravel to destroy send away Dis, disentangle total destruction I know why you have come You've, you're going to unravel me you're going to send me away Ooh, I know Like, how does this demon know I know who you are the word used over there is this word oida someone say oida the word oida when the, when the devil says I know who you are the word oida is just not knowledge it's experiential knowledge. It is knowledge based on experience. Someone said, this is good. Get this revelation and you will know the power of Jesus. The word oida is this word experiential knowledge, which means I know because I've experienced. The devil is saying, I know you because I have seen you before. I've experienced what you have done before. I've experienced the work of your hand. I've experienced your authority and it ain't good. In Ezekiel 28, he knows who God is because he casts Lucifer and his legions out of heaven. He calls them profane and as, he, as they fall from heaven, they're like, ah, they shriek and they cry. We know who you are. You remember the biggest stage of his life when he said, jump off this cliff and the angels will hold you. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 8, Jesus responds and he says, it is written. In verse 10, when the next temptation comes, he responds to the devil and says, it is written. Two verses later in verse number 12, the last temptation comes and he says it is written and the Bible says and the devil departed from him that's all 
That's all it takes. The Word of God tells me that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The Word of God tells me that I am a victor and not a victim. In the name of Jesus, some of us need to know how to declare who you are over the vices of the enemy so that he knows that he doesn't play and mess with you. The devil knows who your God is. Come on, somebody. All you got to do is redirect the plans of the enemy to the plans of God and say, you do the war. You have been defeated. He is, come on, oh my God. This is good. Stand up to your feet. Stand up to your feet. Jesus, Jesus looks at the devil and says, be quiet. Be quiet. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your explanations. But God, I don't care if this person has given legal hold, legal permission for you to be where you are. Be quiet and leave in the name of Jesus. That's all that was said. Be quiet and leave. If the enemy's talking over you, you're giving him permission to talk. If the enemy is directing you, you're giving him permission to be the director. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that by the blood of Jesus. Today is a day of victory. Today is a day of, come on. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, Father God, we thank you. If you did not receive communion today, when you walked in, would you lift up your hands? Somebody would bring communion to you. I am pleading the blood of Jesus over you and over your life today. I want to declare that if you are a Christian born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want you to participate in communion today. We practice what's called an open table, which means you don't have to be a partner or member here at Commission Church to partake of this. This belongs to the Lord. All I'm asking you to do is that you have a relationship with Jesus. That's all that matters. Because the ability that you have to command the devil and speak to the devil and say, get thee behind me, is because of the power of the blood of Jesus. And what we're about to do today is activate that authority, is reaffirm that authority over our lives. Am I talking to somebody? It's to look at your own lives and say, man, I am who I am because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the freedom that he gave me, because of the deliverance and the breakthrough that he gave me. On the day he was betrayed, in that upper room, he took the bread. He looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body. This is my body. This body is going to be beaten. It's going to be scourged. It's going to be, oof. It's going to go through of pain and injustice but there's nothing that I am going to go through that you have not gone to go through Oof. thank you Jesus mm. you know the beauty of that passage that we read just read verse 17 this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah he took our illnesses and bore our diseases you know what people sometimes say, some, some theological people will say, hey, that, that's talking about our, our mental state of being. It's talking about our spiritual sickness. No, no, no. Matthew quotes the verse in the context of a physical healing. It can be clearer than that. My God still performs miracles. 
my God still delivers. He, does, he did not end that. To th no, no, no. It continues even till today. And today I want to declare over you that he gave up his body because he loved you. And he says, but my, by my stripes, you are healed. I take up your illnesses, abhor your diseases. That's what he did. And today you have freedom in whatever you're going through today. You might be a mother-in-law of Peter laying down when you're supposed to be resting. You are going through pain. You're going through unsurmountable, just trauma of some kind. And God is reminding you, I am your healer. I love you. I care for you. I want to have a relationship with you. Father, I thank you for this bread that we're about to have, the body that was broken for us. So he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break this bread with me? He broke the bread. He gave it to them. He said, this is my body. Whenever... Oof. whenever you partake of this remember, remember, remember the act of sacrifice on the cross so today as we partake of this can we remember what he did on the cross for us let's partake of this together and he took the cup and he blessed the cup and he said this is my blood and the new covenant What we're about to have is not actual blood, it's a representation of the blood. It symbolizes the blood. A symbolic representation of what Jesus did on the cross. Where he laid down his life and the Bible says every ounce of his blood flowed out of his body. Because he loved you so much. There's somebody here that does not have a relationship with Jesus. You probably grew up in the church, I'm not contesting that. You probably went to church. You were probably quote-unquote Christian, or you probably weren't. There's somebody here that is far away from God. I want to remind you today that being a Christian is not just being born into a Christian family. Being a Christian is having personal relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus wanting to be your Lord, your Savior, your best friend, your Father? And if you don't have that personal relationship, I want to invite you into personal relationship with Him. All it takes for you to say is yes. That's all. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.